Hello and welcome to the Knowledge Without College podcast. This is your host, Patrick Butler, and today I have an incredible episode to share with you. Uh, this time, I had a conversation with a very smart guy. His name is Brett Jones, and Brett is the Director of Education at Strong First. Now, Strong First is a company founded, started by uh, a guy named Pavel Tatsulin. I hope I pronounced that correctly. But I recently heard Pavel on the Joe Rogan podcast, and I had heard him before uh, talking about strength training using kettlebells. Uh, Pavel introduced the Russian kettlebell to the to the West back in 1998, uh, and is you know credited with bringing the kettlebell to popularity in the United States. And from everything I've heard about this kind of exercise and movement is that it's one that is high leverage. It's one that is simple and very effective. So it has piqued my interest. And this year I am planning on diving into kettlebell training uh, as one of the you know core staples of my exercise routine. So today I had the opportunity to talk to Brett who was able to share with me a lot of beginner information about using kettlebells, the science behind it, some, a little bit of the history, um, and uh, effective methods with using a kettlebell. So I'm excited to begin this journey with the kettlebells. If you are interested in doing something similar, I would encourage you to do so. Check it out, uh, you know, and just Google Strong First, check out their YouTube, check out their videos, their courses, a lot of amazing stuff, and I think you'll be very pleased with what you find. Uh, and my plan is to invite Brett back on at a later date uh, as I've gained some experience and, you know, hopefully I'll have some better, more experienced, advanced questions to ask for him after I've been doing this for a while. So please, uh, you know, if you want to join me with this journey, feel free. I would encourage you to do so. And uh, I hope you enjoy this very informative conversation with Brett Jones. Hey, Brett, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's a real honor to have you on. Patrick, it's great to speak to you and have a chance to uh, connect with your audience. I appreciate it. Well, so, Brett, we, we were just talking just for a moment before uh, starting the recording here, and, and you mentioned that you've been doing this for a long time, and, and one of the things I'm curious about is, is how did you discover uh, you know, this type of fitness that you do, and, and if you could also uh, sort of give a little bit about your background to the audience. Sure. One of my favorite subjects. Uh, so um, the, the, the elevator speech of uh, how I got to be here. I uh, have a Bachelor of Science in Sports Medicine from Athletic Training, uh, certified athletic trainer, uh, High Point University in, in North Carolina. I have a Master's in Rehabilitative Sciences from Drug and uh, Rehabilitative Sciences, which is actually Drug and Alcohol Rehab. Um, which is information on behavior change. So that applies to many different areas of, of life. <clears throat> and um, after working my first couple of years as an athletic trainer and getting to meet Gray Cook and, and work with him for a couple of years, um, 
I transitioned and running a hospital fitness center um, in the Clarion PA area. And during that time, uh, made my initial transition into the, the fitness world. And that would have been around 97. Um, so a few years ago. And um, so we um, uh, made that uh, move. And then shortly thereafter, uh, started following Pavel's work and went to the second ever kettlebell workshop that he taught in the States in February of 02. <clears throat> and from there was asked to join the teaching uh, staff and, and become a, uh, what was known as a senior instructor at that time uh, in 2003. So 18 years of working with Pavel, 17 years of teaching with uh, Pavel, and um, 14 years of teaching with Gray and uh, Cook and the functional movement systems. And um, so, Decent amount of time in on uh, being in the fitness world, athletic training, and uh, traveling and teaching uh, those modalities. That's incredible, and uh, you know, especially from when you were started in 1997, I was still very, very young at the time. Uh, so you got a lot of experience, but even back then, I feel like fitness was a different world, different uh, kind of industry back then than it is now with the internet. It's, it's definitely popularized more over the past few years. For you, what was the drive to get into that space at that time? Um, I just had an interest in, I was into strength, uh, always have been. Um, I was doing a lot of body weight training and, and moving more towards deadlifting and, and strength training. And uh, what Pavel was writing about was certainly uh, some things that were the antithesis of the typical bodybuilding culture that was uh, around uh, at that time. And I just, it made sense to me. And um, I knew after my initial experience with trying to do some of the kettlebell moves with a dumbbell, I was like, you know, I should go get some training in this. And um, it was, it turns out, you know, great decision. And you never know where some of those decisions and people that you meet are going to take you. Uh, so it was, uh, it was a very interesting time frame. And so at that time, kettlebells were not widely popular in the United States. Is that right? Uh, very much so. Um, I, uh, I was joking with uh, a couple of folks uh, recently that, uh, you know, 18, 19, I got my first kettlebell 19 years ago, uh, 18 years ago when I got certified and started teaching people and, and uh, in the next year, uh, I was told many times over those first few years what a fad this was and how this wasn't going to be around in five more years and, you know, this would disappear and blah, 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 blah. Um, so it was uh, very unique at the time. And um, you, you couldn't find a kettlebell, you know, unless you, you had your own. And then, you know, now hotel fitness chains, um, pretty much every gym uh, has some sort of kettlebell. Uh, available and uh, they've become a very known, very, very utilized tool. It's interesting how they would predict it to be a fad, uh, you know, whereas I, I, from my understanding, it had been in use in other parts of the world for a great deal of time before it was brought over to the United States. Is that accurate? It is. Uh, I believe the, uh, the Russian term for kettlebell is Giria, uh, G-I-Y-R-A. Um, which first appears in Russian dictionary in like the 17th century. Wow. Um, so it's been around. Yeah. It's, it's been around for a while. And, um, you know, there's, there's other stories. You can, you can look at some of the uh, Turkish traditions and things like that. And you see very uh, kettlebell-ish uh, sort of implements. Um, we refer to ours as Russian kettlebell training because the guy we learned it from is uh, from uh, Russia. And that's, that's where he brought it from. 
and uh, it, it does have a very long uh, history uh, in, in those areas. So for, for the audience out there, uh, I have not had uh, extensive experience with kettlebells, but when I recently, I've heard a few podcasts with Pavel and hearing about some of the history of this type of exercise, and I hear that something's been going, you know, dates back that far. To me, that sounds like a winner. That sounds like an effective method if it's, a, if it's able to last that long and persist through different cultures and nations and whatever for so long. It's got to be effective. So for you, when you first started with the kettlebells, were you expecting that kind of, were you expecting it to be a, you know, turn into know, career and something that you do professionally for, for this long or was, or, you know, like, like how was the benefits for you, uh, you know, lead to the point where you're willing to do this so extensively and for such a great commitment? Well, the, you know, when I had the opportunity to begin teaching with Pavel, uh, which would have been in, in April of 03 and it was, I'd always, I've never been afraid of getting up in front of people. I've never been afraid of public speaking and presenting and uh, instruction and something coaching is something that uh, is just a part of me and something that I've, that I've kind of always done. Um, it was kind of a real natural transition. And then realizing that from a business standpoint, and this will sound horribly um, self-serving, but uh, you know, I, right. I realized that I could really, <laughs> I could make more in a weekend uh, than I could in, in two weeks, three weeks of personal training. Um, so it was a, it was a profitable, you know, business model to enter into this educational end of things and really start to promote these tools and modalities. And knowing that if I can influence 10 trainers and they each have 30 clients, the things that I'm teaching and the things that I'm trying to influence have a much greater reach than if I'm one-on-one uh, with individuals. So it was really kind of a twofold thing that it, it really made sense from a business standpoint, but it also made sense from a, an outreach and a, an impact uh, standpoint. I, I read somewhere in one of your articles that you had found yourself living a, a sedentary lifestyle and uh, that, that you yes. sort of made this break towards, uh, you know, strength and movement. Uh, could you, could you share more about that experience? So that actually, so, I mean, I've been, I, I, like we've talked about, I've been swinging bells and, and doing this stuff for, for quite some time. Um, but my career and job and, or jobs, as it may, may be, um, in today's economy, it's, it's hard to have one uh, thing that uh, checks all the boxes. So um, this was actually a more recent revelation that even though I was training consistently ballpark three days a week, um, my job coming on five years ago now became very sedentary where I transitioned from personal training, being on my feet for eight, 10, 12 hours a day, working with folks to sitting behind a desk and typing for eight to 10, 12 hours a day. And so I started, uh, with via the magic of the, uh, the devices, um, <laughs> I started kind of looking at my steps and not that the phone is accurate cause it's, it's not attached to me 24 seven. Um, but yeah, I started looking at my steps per day and I was like, Ooh, um, I was averaging probably 2000 or fewer steps a day. Um, well, under five is sedentary and, um, 
there's a good argument to be made for 7,000 being a good uh, baseline uh, for, for steps per day, just to be a somewhat active human being. You know, it's not about fitness at this point. It's about health. And um, one of the things I started looking at is there's some pretty understood ischemic reactions within the body. So due to inactivity and compression, you restrict blood flow from a particular area. And um, we know when you look it up, there's a lot more research on the cardiovascular impacts of the ischemic reaction and how it influences the arteries and, and uh, some of the blood flow. But when I look at it from a more general or global perspective, um, when you have that ischemic reaction or restriction in blood flow, uh, reduced lymphatic movement and things of that nature, all of that has a pretty, I think, uh, has a pretty big impact on uh, mobility, health, uh, and just how we feel. So, Yeah, that's, um, thanks for sharing that because I, I asked because I too have found myself sort of you know, going from a place where I was very active to slowly, you know, businesses change, work conditions change. All of a sudden I find myself not as active as I used to be. And I think that's, you know, if that happens to you, it happens to me, it happens to everybody, especially in this economy, you have to be very, you know, we're not really a manual labor economy anymore. It's, you know, most people are working behind a desk at a computer and, uh, you know, it, I, it's, something I always think about is so what is the baseline amount of activity we're supposed to have? Because there's no way, you know, primal humans were just sitting down all day. They were definitely moving around. And uh, yeah. If you got some of yeah. From a, comment. I've heard from a sociological perspective that if you're not um, anthropological rather, if you're not hunting and gathering for several hours a day, um, you're considered sedentary. And which is interesting, they've, they've actually gone to tribes that still live a very tribal background and they've uh, actually put the wearables on them and tracked their steps and, and things like that. And it's, it's a wide variety, but it ballparks out to between five to 7,000 steps a day is their kind of baseline activity um, with actually the females in, in tribes tending to accumulate more high intensity work. Um, and so there's, um, but there is that kind of general baseline. Occasionally there's a longer, more active day. There's, there's obviously less active days, but when you ballpark it out, the five to 7,000 steps a day tends to be a, a decent, uh, parameter for being up and being healthy. Yeah. And that's, that's, what's interesting to me because a lot of times, a lot of people that I know who live a very sedentary lifestyle, they start to complain about certain pains or issues with their body. And I sound crazy when I tell them that you're, you know, you're probably getting that cause you're not like, you know, your leg hurts cause you didn't run enough, you know, something like that. Uh, and you've used this word that I just learned ischemic. Is that correct? Ischemic. Yep. Ischemic. Uh, yep. to basically describe that reaction to not working your body out sort of at that baseline performance? Is that a fair way to describe it or define it? It's, it's one of the impacts. Um, technically, ischemia is just a restriction in blood flow to an area, uh, whether due to inactivity or compression. Okay. Uh, but the impact of that, uh, like we know from a, uh, just a, let's call it a flexibility or mobility perspective, which is uh, you know, one of the things that as we age and, and as you alluded to earlier, I've, I've got a couple years on you. So as I've continued to accumulate years and, and uh, you, you do have that moment where you're like, Ooh, this used to be a little easier. Uh, mm -hmm. yeah, it's a little easier to move around. Uh, but 
so um, that sort of um, you know, some I think some of what we accept as age-related changes uh, might just be ischemic and uh, activity-related uh, changes. That's I feel like that's a totally fair uh, assessment, especially with like, you know, when you just look at the conditions of the way people live in the modern world, uh, where, you know, especially as you age, you're probably not getting, you know, the kind of movement that you need to, uh, especially compared to, you know, if you're a hunter gatherer, even into older age, you're still moving, probably doing that baseline five to 7,000 steps per day, moving around, keeping the blood flowing. And if you lose that for, you know, a decade, I can imagine that has, you know, severe consequences. Absolutely. And I, and I think from a, you know, from a general uh, perspective, uh, we, we all tend to, the, the Matrix trilogy has many uh, great uh, lines and, and moments in it, but one of them is the concept of residual self-image. And um, if, if you remember the Matrix and they, they drop Neo back in the computer program and his hair is back and the, the little implants are gone and his clothes are different and Morpheus says, oh, that's, you know, you're, digital projection of your you know, virtual self and your residual self-image. Um, we all operate on residual self-image to a certain extent. We, we remember, we tend to remember ourselves at our best. Uh, if I was a great high school athlete, I tend to think of myself as that high school athlete uh, all the time. Um, but when you know, push comes to shove and the rubber hits the road, uh, it turns out that was quite a few years ago. And you don't, you're not at that level anymore. Uh, so we, uh, the easiest person to fool is yourself, as the uh, the old saying goes. And uh, you know, having an accurate uh, picture of where you are, the things you need to be doing, um, it, it's it can be it can be a little hard because we all love to live in that uh, residual self-image. Absolutely, and and that's where I find that this type of movement working with kettlebells is interesting to me, where it's something that you can do. Uh, for the long haul, it can be sort of a, it can be something that you implement your lifestyle, part of your exercise routine. It's something you can like supplement to your existing exercise routine, but something that you can do for a long time. And it's geared towards uh, not only blood flow, all of your body, but, you know, more functional fitness above, you know, just isolation exercises or, you know, some of the other more common types of exercise that people are doing now, which like, lead to injury or you know maybe not completely effective and sort of just dealing with the day-to-day grind of living you know it seems like uh working with kettlebells is something that can give you functional strength that you feel every single day uh, what kind of what, what are the most common types of clients that you get to start you know that come to you that are looking to learn more about you know working with kettlebells it's all across the board. I mean, I've had, uh, I, I was part of one of the first uh, kettlebell gyms in the country uh, called Iron Core out in San Diego back in uh, 04 to 06. And um, we would have 80-year-old grandmothers uh, doing deadlifts beside a 25-year-old surfer that was uh, swinging a big old kettlebell and every walk of life in between. Uh, so it's everything from youth and athletics to uh, senior citizens and middle-aged. A uh, variety of athletes, uh, military, law enforcement. It's it's kind of across the board. Um, the kettlebell is kind of this utilitarian tool, uh, very deceptive. You know, just a cannonball with a handle on it, and it looks you know kind of brutish, um, which is part of the appeal, quite honestly. 
and uh, the thick handle offset center of mass really changes uh, how you're using that implement. Uh, it opens up some unique loaded eccentric and power training uh, positions. It allows for these very rhythmically repetitive uh, movements that are great for power and conditioning and things of that nature. So, and then again, that offset center of mass literally can guide you into better positions or challenge those positions depending on the movement. Uh, so that it, it really uh, is, is, despite its uh, brutish and simple appearance, it's actually a pretty unique and uh, very helpful tool. That's what I love about it. I love the simplicity. And, uh, you know, I've, I've done some movements before, you know, years ago, uh, but it sort of drifted away from me. And that's why this year I'm excited to get back into kettlebells uh, and to, you know, really like run with it and see what kind of results I can get uh, this year with them. I'm curious for, you know, awesome. if someone were to come to you and they would say like, hey, I'm brand new, I'm starting kettlebells. Where, where, do, you, where do you recommend they, they start? What's a good starting point as far as uh, movements to learn or just things to be aware of? So I'm, if you were coming to me as my client, my student, and you said I'm, I'm brand new, I want to learn kettlebells. So we're going to sit down, we're going to talk through a complete history, uh, both activity, medical, injury, uh, we're gonna we're gonna lay everything out on the table and look at it. Then I'm gonna run you through something called the functional movement screen. I'm gonna take a look at your baseline movement, make sure you can access these movement patterns that I'm gonna be asking for. Find out if you have pain with any of those movement patterns, because I want to take that off the table before I start asking for any sort of high performance. Um, and that's gonna give me a baseline for where should we start. Uh, you might be somebody that has a shoulder mobility issue. And I'm not going to take you into overhead movements right now. I can do partial get-ups and I can do a lot of other things to help you regain that shoulder mobility. But challenging that shoulder mobility is not something we're ready to do right this moment. And so I'm all about setting the baseline and being able to bounce the things that I'm doing off of that baseline so that it's not just me saying, oh, you're doing a great job. You know, it's, it's an actual baseline. We can go back. We can revisit. I know how you're progressing. Um, then the typical starting point within uh, most kettlebell training is swings and get-ups. Um, so the get-up is, uh, again, another kind of ancient exercise that uh, is really all about alignment with integrity under load. So you learn how to coordinate your body, uh, centering that mass through your, through your center of mass uh, to stabilize and be able to move this weight from the ground to standing and back again as appropriate for the individual. And then beginning with the deadlift, the kettlebell deadlift, which is unique versus the traditional barbell deadlift, because now I can put my center of mass over the kettlebell center of mass. And anytime I can get those center of masses more closely aligned, the safer it is. Um, the further away from your center of mass a weight is, the more impact that has on the system. Uh, so it, it's a, just a great starting point for knowing how to begin to pick up that weight. And then we progress into swings. Got it. Okay. That's awesome. Love that stuff. Um, when it comes to the, like doing reps and doing sets of, of kettlebells, one thing that I, I uh, heard recently, which is kind of interesting to me was the amount of time that, 
uh, you could rest in between and to make it more effective and, and how that relates to the strength that you're able to uh, accrue from doing these exercises. Could you, I, I honestly don't know too much about that. Just like that mm-hmm. there's some framework there. Could you fill in some of those gaps, explain to me like sort of what is the, I think a lot of people when they're exercising, they're mostly looking to get the exercise out of the way and they're trying to get out of the gym and, you know, they're doing their reps, doing their uh, sets and then they're, but they're probably not resting as much as they need to. Uh, do you have any information about like the value of that rest? Absolutely. I, and I can riff on this for a little bit because I think one of the Please. dominant things within the fitness world over the last good grief, 20 years, uh, has been what we would call high intensity interval training, um, where we do work, we have a short period of rest, we do more work, we have a short period of rest. Uh, and, um, I'm going to, I'm going to say that people expect their exercise to be a, uh, hard and be unpleasant. (laughs) Certainly. (laughs) Uh, if, if I can make those two bold statements, um, so high-intensity interval training succeeds uh, in those two areas. Uh, it certainly makes whatever you're doing difficult because I kind of don't care what you're doing. If you don't rest enough in between the blocks of work, it's going to accumulate into fatigue and that burn. Everybody's looking for you know that burn, that sweat, that fatigue. Um, and on a short-term basis, cool. Like that, that, That's something that can certainly... Uh, be done to peak for an event. It's something that you do for a short period of time. Again, more more like a ramping up or a peaking, uh, but it's not something you can sustain. Uh, Pavel made the analogy that it's like a cabbage soup diet. Um, you you enjoy it for about the first week or two when you see a, a, some weight drop off, and then you're just really sick of cabbage, and you you go back to whatever it was you were eating previously, and there comes the weight back. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say rest is the single most abused training variable. And it is because people are expecting the burn. They're expecting this intense, hard experience. Um, when you flip that script, and it, I'll add into this conversation, is the other thing that's become very popular in the last 20 years is we always had this whole cottage industry of recovery strategies where you, you have a, a lot of money being spent on all of these different things that people do to help them recover better from their training. And I was asked on, a, on another podcast, you know, what's my favorite recovery strategy? And my answer was, it took them back a little bit because it was proper programming. If you've programmed yourself appropriately, you should be recovering from that workload. Um, you shouldn't always be trying to figure out how am I going to recover from all this work? Uh, maybe you're just doing too much. <laughs> it doesn't doesn't have to be an overly complicated conversation. Um, so, in the in the midst of this this high intensity thing where we expect the burn, we want to be worn out. We want to we want to leave the gym fatigued. Uh, along comes Pavel, and uh, and especially in the last five years where he's been researching for his new book, The Quick and the Dead, and revising his his first book for Strong First, uh, Simple and Sinister. Uh, we started playing with this idea of what are the optimal work rest ratios and how do we, uh, uh, when you look at engineering, there's something called an optimal solution and the optimal solution accomplishes the job at the lower, lowest cost. So understanding the cost of your training 
is something that like if, if I were to take you into the grocery store and say, well, what's the cost of this stuff? You'd be like, oh, well, that's easy. If we're going to invest money, you'd be like, oh, I understand the cost of this. We don't bring that mindset to our training, but everything we do has a cost. Um, now, everything comes out of this one recovery bucket. So whether we're talking about work stress, relationship stress, poor sleep, poor nutrition, whatever thing you want to throw into training, it all comes out of the same bucket. And so if you're working two jobs, sleeping four hours a night, your nutrition isn't dialed in, and you're trying to take on a high-intensity interval program, uh, good luck, because the chances of you recovering from that are limited. So when you start looking at the cost of training and how do I accomplish this thing called conditioning or fitness or strength at the lowest cost so that I can recover and be better prepared for everything else I want to do in my life, you start realizing that rest is the thing you need to optimize. So we use something within Simple and Sinister, for example. Um, and to, just to give you a guideline, the simple standard within Simple and Sinister for males is swinging a 32 kilo kettlebell for 10 sets of 10 reps in five minutes. So it's 100 swings in five minutes, 10 every 30 seconds. Take a minute rest, and then you do a get up for each minute for 10 minutes. One get up per minute? One get up. So that is the simple standard. Now, that blows everything I've just said about rest out of the water, right? But that's the test. That's not the training. We love to treat our training as a test. And those two things should be very different. So that's the test. In the training, what we started uh, playing with was something as simple as passing the talk test before you do your next set. So if I do a set of swings, let's say I do 10 swings, before I start my next set, I wanna be able to have a conversation with you. I wanna be able to speak two or three short sentences without having to continue to try to catch my breath. And the results are phenomenal. Um, it's, it's almost like if you give your body the ability to tell you when it's ready to do something else, you get better results. Um, and, I, and I say that in, in a hopefully joking manner because uh, I think everybody realizes that they don't enjoy being forced to do things. Uh, your body is the same way. So when you, when you pass the talk test and you maintain an appropriate work rest ratio, the, the results are pretty amazing. So I, I would definitely say rest is the most abused training variable uh, in existence. And most everyone would do better within their training. They just rested more. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's just one of those counterintuitive things that, you know, when you think about exercise, you're thinking about the hard part and doing as much of the hard part as possible. Uh, but it seems like with everything, and one of the things that I like about uh, these kettlebell movements is that it's about balance. It's about, you know, having the same amount of off time as on time that that's actually a more effective overall approach uh, to being able to, you know, acclimate your body or get the best results. Definitely. And I, and I think, um, you know, we, I'd rather uh, my training today was uh, sets of four, two arm swings at the top of the minute for 20 minutes. Um, 
felt as crisp and great at set 20 as I did at set one. So, so um, let me get this straight. So you're doing four double arm swings and yep. then that's you know, like just four done, wait a minute and then wait to the end of the minute and then do it again for 20 minutes. Yep. Uh, every minute on the minute training. So uh, that was zero, four reps, one is four reps, two minutes is four reps. So for 20 minutes, four reps at the top of the minute. Wow. That's like, if anything, that's hard for someone who's been doing any sort of athletic activity to, to pace themselves, to slow themselves down at that kind of interval. Uh, well, and, you know, what I'm doing is hitting a really high power, uh, four movement, four reps, and yeah. I've got plenty of recovery time. So the next set of four is just as crisp. And so now when you look at it and I'll use pull-ups as an example, because I think people are, are maybe uh, this, this will resonate just a little bit more that sure. if your max pull-ups is 10 or five, whatever the case may be, and you go in and do a max set, how many reps do you get on the second set? Less than the first. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's say five was the max. Maybe yeah. you get three out of your next set and maybe you can do a single by the time you get to the third set. But if we take the mindset of we take half your max and even a little under, so we, how many sets of two could you go in and do of your pull-ups if your max was five? So it feels you like you could do that all day, you know? Exactly. Exactly. So your workload goes through the roof without accumulating fatigue and failure. And so I'd rather be on this end of the equation where I'm accumulating 20 reps versus eight uh, on, on the uh, max or failure sort of mindset. And so the, the, the training I did today is very much in that mindset. High power, hit it, rest and recover, hit it, rest and recover. If the bell slows down or my rep speed goes down, I feel like I'm crossing over about an eight, seven, or if I go higher than a seven or eight on an RPE, uh, rating of perceived exertion. Uh, there's a few stop signs that we, that we look for. I can't catch my breath. I'm not passing the talk test. I either need more rest or I need to call it a day. Mm -hmm. And it's just a, it's a completely different metric. And people, um, when you embrace it, and you, and you start kind of guiding your training in this manner, uh, the results are really phenomenal. And if we were doing pure strength training, um, I did some powerlifting uh, for a while and it was, I love it because I'm actually really good at resting. I'm not, I'm not one of those <laughs> people that you have to convince to, to rest. Um, but when I was powerlifting and I'd go in for my heavy squat days, um, I would do my warm up, do my first work set, and I'd walk around the gym for seven, eight minutes, five, five to seven, five to eight minutes, and then do my next set. And uh, I loved it. <laughs> it, was, it was great. But that's the kind of rest. If you're going to really work strength, you're going to be resting upwards uh, three minutes at a minimum, uh, five minutes much better. And for, on a biological level, is it, the fact is it just get like you can't get oxygen into those muscle groups enough you know is it like what what is the purpose of the rest uh like what are you replenishing in your muscles so there's a combination of neurological and metabolical metabolic factors um i almost made up a word uh so there's a combination of neurological the yeah i'm i'm actually pretty good at that too um <laughs> 
So from a neurological standpoint, uh, the things we do, especially if I'm going to be handling a large amount of weight or I'm going to be performing a high skill activity, uh, that's a very neurologically based pattern based activity. So as I fatigue the neurological system and I can no longer reproduce that same pattern in an efficient manner, I may not be grooving the thing that I want to remember. Um, I think everybody would say if you're shooting free throws and you start to, uh, miss or, you know, come short of the bucket, you'd stop, right? You wouldn't keep trying to groove that pattern. You'd take a break and come back to it. Um, so there's this neurological aspect where, um, you, you need to make sure that from a patterning and neurological perspective, you're recovering well from a metabolic perspective. When you look at how the body, uh, the cells produce energy, uh, within the mitochondria and within the cells, both with and without energy, um, our ATP, our quick energy system, uh, is very powerful, but very short. It's only going to get you um, a, a certain uh, amount of energy uh, for a very short period of time. We're all familiar with the aerobic system, which is where we feel like we can go all day. We're operating at this nice, steady heart rate, and energy is being produced at a pretty low cost, and we can just go all day. And there's a middle system called the glycolytic system that is it fills in the gap between the quick system and the long system. It's also the one that has the, the dirtiest burn. It produces the most waste products. That's the system we're in from about, depending on how much power we're producing in the activity, uh, between 20 to 30 seconds is when it really ramps up to about a minute, minute and a half before the aerobic systems really start to crank up and get going. Um, and I could be off with my seconds there by a few seconds in, in either direction. Um, so when we extend a set or we have incomplete recovery between sets and we're not able to clear the waste products, uh, we start burning dirty and that causes some congestion in the area to your point, lack of blood flow, so to speak, that actually inhibits the recovery. Um, so on a, an adequate amount of rest, allows us to efficiently produce and then clear the waste products so that our next set is just as efficient, just as powerful, just as strong as the, the previous set. Um, so that, that's kind of the, uh, I don't want to go too, uh, no, that's great. too deep that's, into that. But, uh, that makes a ton of there, sense to me. From a, from a strength training perspective, when you create tension, you create a residual amount of tension that also restricts blood flow um, so we actually practice fast and loose and vibration drills to encourage relaxation and train relaxation as much as we're training tension. And that also assists with recovery in between sets. Um, when you look at the differences between elite performers and one notch down. So I'm not talking about going from, you know, scrubs and novices to the elite. I'm talking about the elite national level competitors and their regional competitors do right nipping at their heels. Yeah. The difference is how quickly they can relax. Wow. Not how much force they can produce. That's, that's really interesting. And again, I think it's a very counterintuitive thought uh, compared to, you know, the way a lot of people think about movement and exercise right now. Um, with that though, I'm also curious about the results that you get when it comes to the amount of strength that you have. Uh, by implementing that method, not only are you recovering better and maybe getting better results from your workouts and you can go longer and that stuff, but 
what are the strength gains from implementing that that rest system? Well, it all, it all depends on uh, what specifically we're working on. Um, once you have a base level of strength, power training like kettlebell swings and snatches and things of that nature really, really provides a lot. And within the community, we talk about something called the what the heck effect, where you know I start doing swings and get-ups, but all of a sudden my max pull-ups went up, but I haven't been training pull-ups. Um, so that's kind of that, that what the heck effect where the, the, the strength through the system is improved. So other things that are unrelated to what you've been training, so to speak, um, have also improved. So we'll, we'll see that frequently where people will start training a very simple program. Uh, we're, we're pretty minimalist. Um, that comes from the top down with Pavel and even myself. Um, uh, my, my exercise, my routine today had three exercises in it. Um, and that was it. And I was uh, perfectly happy. Um, so, uh, that sort of minimalist approach and, and the carryover you get from the consistency and proper rest and, and, uh, hitting that optimal solution where you're achieving the, the work at the lowest cost, it, it, it succeeds. You're speaking my language, Brett, you know, it's all, you know, <laughs> it seems like my kind of, uh, this is what I'm looking for with an exercise system, which is one that, you know, is not, you know, ridiculously crazy. It doesn't, you know, take, you know, it's not going to take me three hours during the day to do. It's something that doesn't take up much space. And it's very simple with equipment. Because um, yep. another advantage to this kind of exercise is like the mobility. If you can just find a kettlebell anywhere, you, you have a gym uh, as opposed to, you know, needing to get memberships and go up, go to the building and do all that stuff. So, Overall, I mean, this is, uh, you're really exciting me here as far as, you know, trying this stuff out and really diving into it uh, over the next few months here. What, what kind of, if, if you were to recommend some information, what kind of content should I dive into? I know you guys have so much amazing stuff uh, that you've uh, been a part of, developed, and, you know, with Strong First. And what, where should I begin on that sort of uh, train there? So, and, and I'm going to go a couple different directions here. Sure. Um, I'm, I'm always going to recommend uh, live instruction. Uh, whether you continue working with a Strong First certified instructor or not, two to three sessions with a Strong First instructor to get you off on the right foot, get your technique dialed in from the start, will save you six months to a year of frustration. It is, it is well worth the investment to get off on the right foot. Um, so I would recommend going to the strongfirst.com, find an instructor in your area. Uh, you may have to search towns in your region, but uh, we have a pretty good network of instructors out there. And that's going to let you get that, uh, that hands-on approach, get the technique dialed in from the start. I also understand that's not an option for certain situations and for certain people. So in that case, we have a couple of different uh, things where, well, three different things. Uh, we have our online courses. So we have our kettlebell fundamentals online course where you can see how we instruct the deadlift to the swing to get ups and things of that nature. Pardon me with some programming uh, advice in there. You can always pick up Pavel's simple and sinister, uh, the, the updated and revised edition, which will, is, uh, is very good. And that's going to get you started on that very basic program, simple and sinister swings and get ups, uh, some, some good movement prep drills that, that help improve mobility and, and get you, get you going. Um, I would wait on quick and the dead. Uh, it's, it's in the title. It's the advanced minimalist. 
training routine. Uh, the concepts, the information that's in there is, is applicable to pretty much everyone, uh, but the routines are a little more advanced. Uh, so I'd want somebody hitting simple uh, within the simple and sinister standard before they really take on quick and the dead. Um, and then just our uh, articles and our community form. Uh, we have a very active uh, community form and we're, we're constantly putting out articles that give uh, great training tips, form tips, uh, programming tips, you know, things of that nature. Excellent. Love it. As far as equipment goes, I mean, I'm sure, you know, kettlebell is, you know, kind of a kettlebell for, you know, the reason it's just so simple and, you know, uh, proportionate and everything like that. But is there a place that you prefer to get them from? So we do a lot uh, through Perform Better. Uh, so they have their PV gravity line of uh, kettlebells, uh, which are very good. Um, and to your point, a lot of different places sell them now. Um, so there, there are a lot of different options. Um, I have my original kettlebell from uh, late 2001 that I, uh, that I received. So uh, I, I could fully expect to hand that down within the family at some point if I were to, to choose to do so. Yeah. Um, but as the joke goes, they can have it when they can pry it from my, uh, cold, uh, <laughs> lifeless hands. Um, but, uh, the, uh, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're kind of a tool for life. Once you, once you buy them, unless you're doing something yeah. really funny with them, uh, it should, it should succeed for a long period of time. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's one of the, again, one of the beautiful things about it is it's, it's simple, you know, it's, it's long lasting. And I'm at the point now where whatever I do, I'm thinking, would I be willing to do this for another 10, 20, 30, 40 years, the rest of my life, would I be willing to do this kind of exercise? And that's what sort of has piqued my interest recently in kettlebells is it's something that you can do in the long term. It's simple, low, but you know, it's kind of one of the highest leverage exercises and types of movement uh, from you know, everything that I've seen out there. It's very simple and very effective. Agreed. That's awesome stuff. Well, Brett, thank you very much for sharing all this information. I know I'm asking all these novice questions and I'm sure even some of the audience probably knows uh, a decent bit about this stuff, but uh, I'm excited to sort of dive in here and, and uh, you know, start practicing this stuff. Um, are there any other sort of ask, request, piece of advice or anything you have for, for the audience uh, listening? Um, it's take your time, um, make haste slowly as the, uh, as the old, uh, cliche goes. And, um, I think that, uh, if you take the long-term approach, uh, that, uh, um, was talking about this recently, um, another mentor of mine, uh, Dr. Ed Thomas, uh, talked about the fact that when, when he was learning the kind of a turn system, the Turner system of physical education, uh, in Davenport, Iowa, he never went to the gym to work out. He went to the gym to learn. Now, in the process of learning, he got sweaty, he got tired, he got fit. Yeah. But the goal was, that wasn't the goal. The goal was to learn. Um, I've been swinging a bell for 20 years, coming on 20 years, 18, 19 years now. I'm still working on my swing. I was working on my, the path of my swing and what was happening during my swing during all of those sets today. Um, so there's a mindfulness uh, to the training, to looking at it as a skill uh, versus just something that I can do to beat myself up. Um, there's lots of options for just getting beat up if we would yeah. choose to take that on. 
Absolutely. Well, a lot of uh, a lot of wise words you share with us today, and universal truths. And uh, I think it's a it's a you know very unique and interesting uh, form of movement and exercise. And I'm again like, very excited to try this out. And thank you for these uh, all this information. I'm looking forward to dive into this. And if anyone else listening wants to do the same, uh, you know, try kettlebells this year dive in see how that works for them i'd encourage them to do so and share that experience as much as possible and definitely check out strong first and uh and brett they can hire you too right absolutely i mean i offer online training and i uh, i'm here in the pittsburgh area so uh, i do some live uh one-on-one sessions but i'm i'm also just a, a smidge busy so my availability is a is somewhat limited and uh but but yeah, we have a great network of instructors and, and I really do encourage, you know, even though there's, there's a lot of things in the fitness world where we could say they're uh, available uh, at a moment's notice, I, I think kettlebell training uh, due to the skill requirement uh, is one of those things that, like I said, one to three sessions, just make sure you're off on the right start, makes all the difference in the world. Love it. Well, thanks again, Brett. And uh, I'm excited to I'll, I'll, you know, keep you updated with my results here and then maybe uh, down the road, uh, as I have some more sort of experience, I'll probably have some more advanced questions for you. And if you'd be willing to, I'd love to have you back on and, and uh, sort of pick up the journey from there. Look forward to both your journey and results and being back on the podcast. Awesome. Thank you, Brett. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, please hit the subscribe button and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. You can find us on Twitter at KWC pod on Instagram at knowledge without college podcast. You can find me Patrick Butler at Patrick Butler zero zero on Instagram and Twitter. I encourage you to send over any feedback you have. If there's any guests you'd like to hear on the show, any topics you'd want to hear discussed. I want to know about it. I want to hear your feedback and opinions. So please, Help me make this a better experience for you. And I look forward to hearing from you. Have an excellent day and thanks for listening.